Last week, we began a sermon series, a winter sermon series that highlights six core stories from the Old Testament. We're doing this in part because the Bible is really, really big. And we hope that breaking up the first half of our sacred text into six core stories will help us better understand who this God is in its pages and what is our relationship to that God. Last week, we started the series at the beginning of the story by looking at the account of God's creation, a story that marked the beginning of the world. Today, we are looking at the call of Abraham, a story that marks the beginning of faith. The story of Abraham and Sarah is so important because the Bible is full of call stories. Over and over again in both the Old and the New Testament, the God of all creation decides to get personal, to come down on our level and call us out by our names. But it didn't have to be that way, I guess. It's not an unthinkable idea that God wouldn't call people, that God would choose to manage things without our help. One would think that a deity of God's magnitude, the creator of the universe and all, one would think that he wouldn't need, she wouldn't need to seek out human companionship. But from the very beginning of our stories, this God, our God, has sought out people like you and me. Now, the story today begins on a bare stage. Nothing is happening. There is no action. No one is going anywhere. In walk an old man and an old woman. I realize old's not the best term. What's to say they're past their good years? Old is all relative. I get that. Anyway, nothing of significance or importance has ever happened to these two. Things used to happen all the time. Genesis chapters 10 and 11 go through this long line of generations. This person begot this person who begot this person who begot this person. But when we get to Abraham and Sarah, all the begetting stops. The text says Sarah was barren. She had no child. Once again, a story, a defining story of our faith that begins with emptiness, with a void, with darkness and chaos. This is the beginning of the story of Abraham. This is the beginning of the great traditions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. A story with nothing. Perhaps you were expecting something a bit grander, a bit more grandiose. Well, if you were, it gets worse before it gets better. God asked this couple who have so very little to give up the little they have to journey to a yet unnamed land. Actually, that's not accurate. Sorry. God doesn't really ask Sarah. God just asks Abraham. And Sarah agrees to follow. The late Louis Smedes was a pastor and professor of theology and ethics. In a conversation about the call of Abraham, he said this, I can imagine Sarah waking up at about four in the morning, hearing the noises of Abraham packing. Men pack loudly. That's my addition. And Sarah says, what are you doing, Abe? Packing. What are you packing for? Well, we're leaving. Where are we going? I don't know. Why are we going? Because he told me to. Who's he? He didn't tell me. Speed goes on to say, and then I could imagine Sarah 
going to the other room, picking up the phone and calling her father, Dad, what am I going to do? I knew you shouldn't have married that nut. (laughs) You really do, though, have to be some kind of nut, some kind of crazy, to do what Abraham does. Some random God speaks to him, and he uproots his family, leaves behind all that is familiar and known, and follows this God, a God who he barely knows, to a destination that has not yet been revealed to him. But if Abraham's a little crazy, what's that make God? I mean, God, after all, chose Abraham. Abraham, who isn't all that good-looking like David, or cunning like Jacob, or resourceful like Joseph. Sarah is barren, but let's be honest, it could have been Abraham's fault that was the case. There's nothing special or noteworthy about the guy. He's old and he's childless. Not the kind of guy you pick to start a new generation, a new nation. And yet God calls him by name. And I can think of only one reason why God would choose someone as pathetic as Abraham. God needed someone who needed God. Abraham said yes, and Sarah agreed to follow. They said yes and agreed to follow this strange God who made outlandish promises for the same reasons that couples today go to fertility clinics and undergo in vitro fertilization. They said yes to God's call for the same reason people explore adoption or take a job across the country, uprooting their family. They agree to God's demands for the same reason people say yes to a hasty marriage proposal or muster up the courage to talk to a cute stranger. They said yes for the same reason that people come to church in the 21st century. They were desperate. They were desperate for a future filled with hope. What if this story today isn't just something that happened a long time ago to some people in a faraway place? What if this story is a model, a roadmap for a life of faith? What if following God really involves following God, leaving behind the familiar to journey to a new place, an unknown place? What's funny is that this going where you've never been before has very little to do with geography. It can involve geography, but it doesn't have to. You can leave things behind without ever leaving your front porch. We can leave behind old hurts and grudges. We can leave behind tired ways of relating to people. We can leave behind stereotypes and generalizations. And then there's this thing that we're moving towards, this place. It's not really a place, though, as much it is a new way of being with, with God and with other people. This core story of Abraham's call reminds us that in order to find our way to God's promised land, we have to leave where we've been and what we know. Before we can be called to something, we have to be called away from something else. So, what is God calling you from? What is God calling you to journey away from? Is it a worldview that limits your potential or the potential of others? Is it all that guilt and shame you hold on to so dearly? Perhaps you're being called away from an addiction that has grip on your life. Perhaps you're stuck in a judgment or a grudge or a resentment that keeps you in the same 
place. What is God asking you to leave behind so you can follow God into a land of promise? You may have noticed that I have thus far avoided using the term vocation. That's the fancy word for a job. The longer I serve as a pastor, the less comfortable I am linking these call stories in the Bible with vocation, with saying that a person is called by God to be a minister or a doctor or a teacher or a nurse or whatever. I don't think that way anymore. I say this because the call of Abraham has nothing to do with his vocation. Abraham's call wasn't about how he made a living or where he went to work. I challenge you to read the chapters about Abraham and figure out exactly what he did for a living. It's all pretty vague in the story. He owned herds. He had servants. As far as I can tell, what he was doing before God called him is what he kept doing right after God called him. This call stuff isn't about vocation or work. It's much bigger than that. This isn't about God wanting us to switch our jobs. It's about God wanting us to switch our loyalties. In a recent interview on her radio show, On Being, Krista Tippett had a conversation with musician Bobby McFerrin of Don't Worry, Be Happy fame. For those of you who love that song, or like me, utterly detest it, you might be surprised that that is actually an outlier for Mr. McFerrin. That's not typically who he is. He is a deeply spiritual, deeply religious, deeply thoughtful, complicated man. In the interview, Krista asked Mr. McFerrin to talk about his spiritual journey as a young person. Around the age of 16, he recounts, I thought, Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy, I thought I wanted to join a monastic order. Imagine that. And I thought that about, for a couple years I would do that. Then I thought about the priesthood when I was about 24. But music had always been a part of my life, and singing at about 27 just took over. The monastic impulse, Krista asked him, where, what was that all about? Well, my love of quiet, you know, he says, that was a big part of it. And I also like the discipline of the hours. You know, you get up early in the morning, you have a service, then a few hours later you have another service, and then a few hours later you stop and do it all over again. I like the fact that you stopped whatever you were doing at a particular time and reminded yourself, you brought yourself back to your calling, you brought yourself back to, you know, that, the voice of God as well as you could, you know, and I, I really thought that I wanted to share that kind of life. When God called out to Abraham and Sarah, God asked them to place everything in God's hands. Their loyalty, their trust, their future, their hope, their lives. And God did this because God wanted them to journey from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end of the pool, where they could discover the true joy and peace of a life with God. A colleague of mine recently served a church in a dangerous city. Well, dangerous city, a dangerous part of a city. In that congregation, there was an older lady, about 75, whom my friend greatly admired. Her faith was something to behold. The lady seemed to have absolutely no fear about coming to meetings and to worship services late at night at the church, despite the fact she had no car and had to walk from her apartment downtown on the dark streets to and from the church. 
One night after a prayer service, as my friend was locking up the church, he noticed the old lady walking from the church down the street to her apartment. As she walked, she was doing something kind of strange. She was holding out her hand as if she was grasping the hand of someone else. And as she was walking, she was humming and singing a familiar tune, Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on. Hold my hand, lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Was that old lady crazy to think that God could protect her on the dark streets at night as she made her way home from church? Was she a little nuts to think that that would keep her safe? Maybe, but maybe not. In the end, who do you want to trust with your future, with your life? Yourself? Other people? Or the one that made us all? Saying yes to God's call is a journey of faith. It's a journey from a barren land where we struggle to make our own way to a land where God is eager to give us what we truly need. It's a journey away from anxiety produced by our attempts to manage our existence to a place where we learn to trust in God and God alone. It's a journey from a worldview of scarcity where we never have enough to a worldview of abundance where there is more than enough for us and for other people. I want to let you in on a little secret, a secret that I always forget, but I remembered as I was working on this text this week. Here's the secret. It's when we are aware of just how not in control we are, of just how not independent we are, of just how not together we are, that we discover the amazing grace of God. Remember, you have been called. That's why you're here on a cold morning in the middle of January. At some point in your life, God reached out to you and spoke to you. You were desperate enough to believe it and to come, and you're back. Thank you. You have been called from a place defined by limits, by what is not possible. You've been called from that place to a land defined by blessing and hope and new life. You've been called from to by the God of all creation. And it's never too late to say yes to that call because Abraham and Sarah's story is so important because it's our story, which means we are never too old, too young, too tired, too busy, too broken, too anything to not respond to God's call and to receive the promise of a life filled with with God's blessings. You have been called by God. Amen.